You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, we have embarked on a sermon series that will lead us through these fall months studying different pieces of our story, specifically studying different stories within our story, characters that show up throughout the biblical narrative, both in the Old and New Testaments, stories of people that may be people we have not come across before or if we have characters that we have just quickly skimmed right on past. And so we began last week, you will remember, with the character of Joseph, with that lesser known first dream of his that sets his life on an entirely different course. If we had kept reading that story, we would have reached its conclusion at the end of Genesis, where Joseph does indeed rise to power and through his power and authority saves not only his family, but all of the Hebrew people. And there in Egypt, between Genesis's end and the beginning of Exodus, that Hebrew nation grows in size and number there in Egypt. But Exodus, when we turn to that second book of the Bible, begins with a bit of an ominous note. It tells us that a new king arose, a new pharaoh arose, who after many generations past Joseph did not know him. And the plight of the Hebrew people, well, the plight turns south. They become slaves in Egypt. They are treated poorly. And this new pharaoh is threatened mightily by them for their numbers continue to grow. And so we pick up this story with the story of two heroes, two women who perhaps we have never met before. Let us listen once more for God's word as we hear this piece at the very beginning of the Exodus story from Exodus chapter one, beginning with the 15th verse. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puha, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife even comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, God gave them families And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Let us pray. 
Good and gracious God, rain down your mercy once more upon this, your gathered people. Indeed, O oh God, we pray that you would send your spirit, that it would bridge this ancient story to our story today. That through your spirit, O oh God, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered together here in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone, O oh God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are, in my opinion, no braver two people in all the Bible than Shifra and Puha. I would put them up against David and Deborah and Daniel and all the others that might come to mind. Think about it. Here these two women are in this world that is just spinning out of control. Pharaoh, for no particular reason, no provocation that we are told, at least in the story, other than the numbers of the Hebrew people growing, Pharaoh has decided to deal shrewdly, is how Exodus puts it in those verses right before where we began, to deal shrewdly with the Hebrew people. Pharaoh has decided to make their lives bitter, to make them suffer. And when that does not in turn stem the tide of those growing numbers, Pharaoh turns to plan B. He summons these midwives and he gives them this awful, awful command. I mean, their whole lives, their whole vocation has been centered on nurturing life, both the life of the child and the life of the mother. And now here they are being commanded to do the exact opposite, to take life instead. And before any of us put ourselves in their shoes and say, well, if it were me, I would have done the same thing as those midwives. Remember who Pharaoh is. I mean, Pharaoh is a real person with real earthly power, right? Think about all of the bitterness and suffering that he has been able to bring upon an entire nation of people. Imagine what he is capable of if he takes that same sadistic energy and just focuses it in on these two women. I mean, they are putting everything on the line. And it's not easy to do that. I was thinking as I read this story this week back on two opportunities I have had to visit Yad Vashem, which is the National Holocaust Remembrance in Jerusalem, Israel. It's a powerful and painful place to go, but an important one to visit if you have an opportunity. And every time I visited, the thing I have probably been struck most by has been how these exhibits hold Christians' feet to the fire. They tell the stories of unimaginable courage and faith and pain that countless people endured in that horrific chapter of our global history. But they don't shy away either from telling the stories 
of how good and faithful people, especially good and faithful Christians in places like Germany and elsewhere, just happen to look the other way. People who didn't speak up. People who covered their eyes to the reality that their neighbors were facing. Every time I've gone, I have been forced to ask myself, really, which one would I have been? Because it's not easy to stand up in the face of power and of threat. And yet that is exactly what these two women do. But isn't it interesting that Exodus doesn't call their actions bravery? Instead, it tells us that the midwives feared God. Now, when the Bible talks about fear, especially fearing God or fear of the Lord, it's usually not talking about the shake in your boots kind of fear. Usually, it's talking about something more akin to reverence. These two women revered God. They revered God because they knew who God was. They had spent time steeping their lives in prayer and in the stories of their tradition, stories that told them that the God who they meet in Yahweh is a God who chooses and works for life. They knew the stories of God saving Noah and his people. They knew the stories of Abraham and Sarah. They know, too, the story of Joseph. And they revered God for it. And that reverence is what grounded them. Even when the world was spinning out of control, even when the storm was raging all around them, it grounded them because they understood that they were but pieces in a much larger drama. And it's from that solid grounding, from that relationship that they had with God, that they acted. They let the boys live. They let the boys live. Isn't it interesting, too, that it's not some grand gesture that Shifra and Puha make here? Like Craig said, right, I almost wanted to read the scripture very quietly. Right, this isn't some big gesture where they go out and they organize all of that multitude of Hebrew people to overthrow Pharaoh. No, it's a small thing. It's a quiet thing that they do. But they do what they know is right. And the God who they have known because of that relationship that they have with God, God takes those small acts and magnifies them into mighty things. We don't actually know how many boys live because of Shifra and Puha's small acts. But we can guess reasonably that it is many. And of course, one of those boys is who? It's Moses. I want to pause here just for a moment because we're not going to spend another week on this story as part of this series. And I just want to acknowledge the irony in this story as well. The rich and beautiful and God-ordained irony that Pharaoh in all of his might 
and all of his earthly strength and wealth perceives the threat in front of him as being the boys. Kill the boys, he says, but let, well, let the girls live. But who is it that ends up thwarting all of Pharaoh's best laid plans? It's the women. Women with names like Shifra and Puha and Pharaoh's own daughter. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's just so perfect. You know, there's another name of a woman that I didn't actually know until I found myself sitting in her living room in a modest home outside Pikeville, Kentucky. It's far eastern Kentucky. Her name was Eula Hall. I was there with a group of seminary students. It was part of our January term. And we had been brought to meet with Eula because of all that she had done as a woman of faith. Eula was born in an even smaller community than Pikeville up a holler called Mud Creek. Great names in that part of eastern Kentucky. Eula had been born into deep poverty. She never had an education that surpassed the eighth grade. But Eula had grown up seeing people all around her, neighbors dying of curable illnesses. Illnesses like dysentery and tuberculosis and complications from childbirth. All dying because there was no health care nearby. And so at the age of 43, this was 1973, with $1,400 and an initial donation and a commitment from two doctors who said they would help if she could get it started, Eula started what is called the Mud Creek Clinic. It was a clinic there in that community for her neighbors And it was a clinic that would serve people regardless of their ability to pay for the services that they received. When the clinic grew to be too big, Eula moved her family out of her house and into a trailer so that the clinic could move into her house. When an arson who was searching in the middle of the night for drugs burnt the clinic down in 1982, Eula showed up the very next day, called the telephone company, had them put a telephone on a tree, pushed two picnic tables together, and just kept going. Eula was known across the decades for her Chevrolet wagon. Y'all remember the Chevy wagons, that great back seat where you look out the back? She would drive all up and down those hollers, around those winding roads to deliver medicine to people who needed it, but also in the middle of the night to take critically ill people to the closest hospital that they could reach. Eula was a saint for that little pocket of eastern Kentucky. But as we visited, she also wanted to make clear that the work she had devoted her life to was not easy work. It was not easy, she told us, to stand up to powerful people. She spent decades fighting tooth and nail for every cent that the Mud Creek Clinic got, 
whether from local or state or federal sources. But equally hard for her was standing up to powerlessness, to that stigma that she and her neighbors carried as people who were as impoverished as they were, the stigma that others would put on them that somehow they were less worthy of care. As I visited with Eula in that group setting there in her living room, what I recognized in the woman in front of me was a woman who feared God, who revered God, and who from that reverence acted, and who from those actions was this living example of a God who will take even our smallest efforts, $1,400, two picnic tables, a telephone on a tree, a Chevy wagon, a God who will take even our smallest efforts and do mighty things with it. I read Eula's obituary in the New York Times a few years ago in 2021. And I was struck by the title they gave her. They called her a one-woman relief agency. That's how they marked her life. I thought, okay, that's true. But I also don't think Eula would have appreciated that title much. I think Eula would have been the first person to say, I'm just one person, yes, but one person in a long line of people going all the way back to women with names like Shifra and Puha. I'm just one person in a long line of people who are performing not feats of bravery, but acts of faith. I'm just one more person living with the faith that my story My story can play a role in telling the story. What's that Mother Teresa quote where she says, I am but a pencil in the hand of a writing God. Eula, Shifra, Puha, on down the line. They understood their lives to be but pencils in the hand of a writing God which makes me awfully curious what kind of story God is writing with us. Is it a story of fear and caution? Or is it a story of reverence and action? I wonder how God will take even the smallest pieces of our story and do magnificently more than we could ever imagine on our own. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.